Welcome to TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council, coming at you from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for being with us today for a special bonus episode of the show. Earlier this week, we hosted a call with several prominent commercial real estate CEOs from the DFW area who happen to be part of our organization, including Bill Cauley of Cauley Partners, Lucy Billingsley of Billingsley Company, Mike Geisler of Venture Commercial Real Estate, Mark Gibson of JLL, Steve Van Amberg of KDC, Ray Washburn of Charter Holdings, and several others. They spoke about the state of their businesses across several real estate sectors and prognosticated on when the industry will return to the level of success it enjoyed prior to the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The full call is coming up in just a bit. We've posted video clips from the call over on our YouTube channel as well. You can find us by searching for the Real Estate Council, and when you do, don't forget to subscribe. We'll also link to the playlist with each of the clips in the show notes. If you're new to the show, please subscribe so you get the latest episodes right to your mobile device, and don't forget to follow Track on social media. With that, we present our recent CRE CEO check-in right here on TrackCast. So it's, it's kind of the, it's going to sound like a broken, broken record to some degree, but, but, uh, you know, I think if you look back 30 days, uh, this thing kicked off, there were huge demands on capital initially where, you know, the large corporate entities were, were pulling down lines of credit and, uh, I, I guess more than anything else, just show the liquidity. And so we had that going on. And since then, you know, we have been, uh, that's settled down, obviously, but uh, since then, we've had huge demands from federal, state, local, hospitals, you know, you name it. So we've had, we've continued to have large demands on capital. Um, you know, I, I think from the real estate perspective, we took a hard look at all of our term sheets and mandates that we had in place, and, and we've been working on closing all of those. Uh, that'll take us through July. Uh, to, to catch all the things that were pre-COVID. Most of what we had that we were working on was either build the suit or term loans with investment grade tenants. So, you know, I, I think decision to, to do all of that was pretty easy, but we but we went into this with a plan to go ahead and continue with everything that we had on our plate. And we didn't, we didn't make any pricing changes or do anything with those. Um, the, uh, you know, the team has been immersed with, uh, as they've learned how to be loan processors for the SBA. Uh, we've done a ton, of, a ton of PPP loans, and now we're working on uh, 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 facilitating payback of those loans because as there's been more clarification, uh, most of the people that took the PPP loans have decided with the recent FAQ that came out from from the government on uh, that the, as they're they're going to do some audits to take a look at uh, need and I think they're probably it sounds like looking at uh, strength of ownership uh, so those those PPP loans are getting paid back and I think there, there's a few days of grace so folks are are doing that and we're trying to help those that want to do it so you mean we're not, advi we're not advising on it we're just simply communicating and you know, letting people know, and we were purely loan processors in all of this. We told people up front that, that was what our, our role. I'm sorry, there was a question. So, are you, are you saying they're they're deciding to give the money back? Yeah, most. It seems like it seems like the majority of our clients that took the PPP loans are paying them back. Uh, there's a there's a bit of a grace period, and it's not long. It's just a few days. 
that folks have the opportunity, but there's there was some commentary about they are going to start audits and look at uh, the federal government's looking at taking doing audits, and they're I think they're looking beyond just the entity. They're looking, I think, at standard ownership. Again, is I, it I, is there a stand is there a standard size of loan that you see more of that happening with, Joe? For us, it's kind of across the board. You know, I, you know, I think that people have just gotten nervous about about the need base. Thing and the uh, and the uh, you know the the potential uh, negative media because it is getting some scrutiny there. You know, you, you think you've got the you've got the uh, the uh, billionaire that's sitting out there who owns a company that that the company's not doing well and they took the loan out and the audit's going deeper than the company. So I think they're 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 paying those back uh, just to, to avoid all the. Hey, and it hey, comes with, and, and I think there there it comes with some pretty heavy penalties uh, if, if people have taken out and they determined that, that it wasn't needed. Has, has the government provided any guidelines at all for you know the the audit or who would be subject or random? Uh, the only thing I've really read or seen is is it's called FAQ. I think it's FAQ thirty one, and that's I think that's the one everybody's focused on. And they said uh, they, if anybody wants that, uh, just send me send me an email and I'll and I'll forward it to you. It's, it's I think it's probably pretty easy to access online. But uh, that, that's the one I think that's driving the the activity. So we've been we've been busy with that recently. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, as far as the bank is concerned, we we had through 2016 we had seven years of record growth and bookings and. We stopped and looked at it and we didn't know where downturn was coming from, but we started really preparing for it then, cut back on uh, on spec construction. We still were doing some, but uh, cut it back pretty dramatically you know, and uh, focused on, on just our, our key clients. So as Jamie would say, before this all happened, they were prepared for a downturn, but, but uh, we're hoping for continued growth. Uh, so, you know, I can't really say that we were prepared for what's happened, but uh, we're spending a lot of time uh, stressing our portfolio, making certain reserves are adequate. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody has, has said this outside of retail. We feel like the, the collections went a lot better in April than we expected. I uh, haven't really gotten many reports on what's happened in May. Um, and you know, we really haven't seen much in the way of, of debt relief. We've had a few that have, that have asked for some relief, but not many. Um, and that just points, I think, to the strength of the client base. Um, we're not totally shut down. We're supporting clients. We're, we're still looking at new things. Uh, we're looking at them with a lot more caution. Uh, we're discouraging uh, investments where we, we feel like or discouraging Clients are moving forward to things that, that don't look like uh, uh, there's a there's a clear path, you know. And and I get understand this. Look at look at it as a banker, limited returns, not equity. Uh, how do you underwrite today? You know how 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 can you how can you underwrite in this this environment? Because we don't really know know where we're going. We're all hoping for a quick recovery, and uh, but. But uh, I'd have to say that more and more economists are leaning toward kind of longer-term recovery, more concern about all the, the, the money that's being spent to, to get us through this. How are you going to pay all that back? 
you know, what's going to happen to taxes, what's happening to states like California and Illinois, where, uh, where the hole is getting deeper. Uh, and uh, we probably, I mean, there's a good chance we all end up paying for that through, through higher taxes, and certainly that could stifle investment. Uh, we had a, and a uh, real estate economist that gave us a report last week uh, for the, for internal use, but uh, in that report, they they told they told us that their their feeling was cap rates have already moved 100 basis points, and they'll probably move a little bit more and then then retract over the course of the next year. Um, so that that's uh, that's something to be concerned about as we as we look at anything new and look at what's on our books now. So we're we're underwriting to that. You know, appraisals aren't really going to help you much right now. Uh, it, it, it's because uh, I'm not real sure how you appraise anything and what assumptions you're going to make. I see there were a couple of comments here. Uh, SBA lauded anyone who took a loan over two million. Uh, I don't know if it's limited to that. I, I, I've heard that that that's that there's a high probability over two million. I think they're looking elsewhere too. Uh, but. You know that's just that's just from internal discussions. I don't I don't know that to be the case. Um, and and it's the other comment that came out the audit. I don't know who sent this. Uh, from Colin. So let Colin talk about this, I guess. Um, and the potential criminal liability is spelled out in in the FAQ. Uh, so you know that's definitely a certainly a risk of that. That's all the specific comments I have. I'd be happy to try to answer any questions if there are any. I've got one. So you're saying that they think there's been an attrition of 100 basis points and and the 50 basis points you talked about, further attrition or improvement? They're saying further attrition and then retracting back and they think there'll be a somewhat permanent uh, or uh, mid midterm uh, 50 basis points higher than where we were going into this. So 150 basis points deterioration in value. Yeah. And the other thing, they made the comment that they felt like by the end of next year, we'd be back to where we were at the start of uh, 2019. So a recovery in about a year. Yeah, partial recovery. You know, again, getting back to early 2019, year and a half. I can live with that. <laughs> you know, I think who I knows? Who, who, I could too, but who, who knows? I mean, what do we say? They say economists are economists are uh, highly paid for being right 40% of the time. So. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to stop reading them. I was talking to Rand when we first started. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the fetal position under my desk after I get done reading all the articles that people are predicting what's going to happen. Any any other questions to Joe? Okay, Mike, you're up. Okay. Um, I think you know. I think retail is uh, obviously going to be the one affected the most and the most deeply. Um, you know, talking to a number of property owners, we saw rent collections in April anywhere from forty to sixty percent. Um, as an average, but there were certain uh, types of properties where there were more local tenants where you might see that number be, uh, you know, closer to 20. Um, 
I think we'll see an increase in rent collections for May because we're working out a lot of deals with uh, tenants and, and it could be reduced rent and, and they're going to pay for April and May. Um, but that might be just a, a momentary bump. Um, we're seeing, starting to see a lot more chapter 11s. Um, you know, some of this is some of the bigger, some of the companies with multiple, with a, a larger number, uh, large numbers of stores were really slow to come around. Some were really uh, not playing well, but I think, um, I think a, a lot of those guys are starting to, you know, come to terms and work things out that are, that are equitable. Um, you know, I think that, you know, on a positive side, I would say that, um, you know, having these Zoom meetings with with our team is really important and making calls, having our leadership make calls to our younger people to really help them through this because um, there's a lot of anxiety that won't be discussed on the phone. Um, we're trying to get, you know, uh, we're trying to get everybody in, in, the, in the company to make a contribution on the phone just to say, okay, what are they doing? You know, Yet share ideas of how what, what's working for you and what are you seeing and so um, I'd say uh, from a standpoint of day-to-day -day brokerage business um, I'd say it feels like it's recovering the number of calls coming into the company has really has really uh, exploded towards the end of the last week um, we actually opened up the office yesterday officially and um, We've seen a slight increase of people coming into the office. We're rotating staff 50%. So, uh, you know, we've got Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, Tuesday, Thursday staff, but it, we're about 50% manned. The rest of the staff is working remotely. And any staff that has a request or any concern about coming in can continue to work remotely all the time. Um, we, we, I would tell you, though, that there's a real uh, – there's a there's a, a faction of the firm that really wants to be back in the office that enjoys the place that finds it easier to work here that just likes the chemistry. Uh, our you know COO put together an exhaustive kind of plan of having masks and and sanitizer and wipes and she's been stockpiling that to have enough so that people would feel comfortable. Uh, we've got a lot of you know we've created a procedures and you know just so that people feel uh and we've created a lot of signs around the office just to remind, remind people to keep keep them six feet apart so um you know we're doing a lot just trying to take those steps to to move into the next week and the next week um oddly enough and i think this is interesting is the millennials and the gen z's were the very first to uh to 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 you know um to not come in the office to hide and they're going to be the very last to come back in the office it feels and um it's nothing about their work ethic it and i'm i'd like to really know what it is that you know that it's a product of but boy they are they have more fear and anxiety about it than um you know in any other category of age group i have i'd say you know they're they're everybody that's uh, been in the office you know there's been a half a dozen of us over the last two weeks uh, or more and everybody's over 50 <laughs> so I don't know what that means um, you know so we're still trying to explore that and um, I'd say what's encouraging is even even though our uh, younger folks may not come in the office um, 
they they are out there showing space, and that's encouraging. And, you know, in the last three weeks, um, I would say every one of my landlord rep brokers has um, has had appointments to open up space and to show space. So I think that's interesting. Um, so there's a there is a pulse of folks that are that are kind of looking past all of this, that are looking to expand. Um, you know, we've been uh, identifying, kind of creating a list of tenants that are continually active doing deals. Um, but it's going to be a very different reality. And so that's, that's just, you know, kind of say, looking at what's going on in the brokerage business, what's going on in property management and rent receipt and rent collections. Um, I would say that um, from a brokerage company standpoint, um, a lot of people are, are withholding fees that are due. And I think some of that may be warranted just to make sure that the tenant's going to be there. Um, but, you know, we've seen a really strong drop in fees and um, in terms of just collections and collections have always been something that we usually get everything, but um, whether it's people working remotely and that process is being slowed or whether, um, you know, certain real estate REITs have, have uh, furloughed some of their commission staff, and it's just moving slower. I don't know the answer, but I would say we're seeing a significant reduction in terms of that income. Um, in terms of sales, uh, you know, property sales, uh, I'd say 70% of the properties we had under contract have uh, the, the closings have been extended. 25% uh, I would say have uh, have probably been dropped. And 5% have been closed. We continue to see things that are closing. So I think that the reason for things being dropped would be suspending expansion plans. Um, some of it could be financing. And, um, you know, a lot of the kicking the stuff out further in terms of extensions is just that, you know, whether you're into the city to get your plans approved or whatnot, all of that has been stalled out as well. Um, you know, I think one of the, the dark spots of our industry is CMBS lenders and, and uh, with the clients that we work with and with some of the properties that we've uh, got with CMBS loans, those guys are very uncooperative and they extort fees out of you before they'll talk to you. And, um, and it's a, it's a part of our industry. We've got to do a better job, you know, trying to make it a more functional process and maybe more accountable. It's just, they're, they're, they're not good. So I would say um, I tried to shed some light on kind of what it looks like on the ground, you know, from our broker's eyes, from our property's eyes, from our company's eyes. Uh, you know, I think that our industry, you know, has been in this, uh, been in a very evolutionary process and this has stressed it out even more. And I think in the coming weeks, we'll figure out if it takes a, a huge toll on companies, big and small, um, I would say there's an amazing spirit working with most landlords, working with most lenders. Um, everybody's trying to get through this together and, and, and even the tenants there's a, there's for overall, I think that spirit of cooperation is, um, is there and that's encouraging. Uh, and it's encouraging cause it's happened so much faster than I've ever seen it happen in, in the other thing, uh, other times of life that I've been a part of from the, crash of the eighties, which was just totally broken to the recession. Um, things seem to be evolving in real time. Questions? 
Any questions? Mike. <clears throat> hey, Mike, this is Walt. Um, if you had a crystal ball, re retail, employment base, January 1, 2021, percentage of people still in the industry, what do you think happens? At, for, uh, from a retail restaurant tour employer? No, I'm talking about from a, a group like you, re, uh, a group that's in the retail business doing retail deals. What do you yeah. think the fallout is? Is it break even? Is it drop 10, 20%? What is, what's going to happen to the people side of it? You know what? I, I think this, uh, this may really, uh, this may create a real shift, uh, uh, you know, uh, that we've all been wondering if it's going to come. The velocity of our business has slowed so much in the last five years, 10 years. You know, I, I think, you know, we do half as many new transactions that you know, per year as we used to do. So there's a, there's something that's going to call a, cause a fallout. Um, you know, we lost a, a senior broker in the last two weeks, great guy, but um, his wife owns a retail store. He, they've got twins and he got an opportunity for a, a six figure job. And that's, a, you know, that was a necessary move for him. Um, so I think you'll see some of that. I, I don't know that I could qualify it yet, Jeff. I think that's a real interesting, it's, a, it's something I'll give thought to. Maybe next time we talk, I'll have a better idea. Um, I'd ask Steve Lieberman if he has any thoughts on that. What do you think, Steve? I think that, um, I mean, so far we have not seen it. We, we've certainly, our activity has dropped consistent with what you just described. Uh, historically, uh, we've seen our, our greatest activity and our greatest opportunities coming out of periods of disruption. And I think that this is going to certainly qualify as a, a period of disruption. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're anticipating on, on the, the brokerage team side um, that, that we'll pick up a lot of the, the business that we've lost currently. But uh, we got to get through the near term uh, to, to, to accomplish what's ahead in the long term. But uh, I don't expect long term a big, as Mike has said, our retail is a very dynamic industry. It always has been uh, characterized by a lot of change. But as I said before, you know, all the, all the negatives come with positives. So uh, with all the challenges, you get the opportunities. With all the disruption, you're going to have innovation. People will reinvent themselves. Retailers will reinvent themselves. Uh, we're already starting to see how, how the retailers and the restaurateurs are adapting their business. Uh, I expect you will certainly see uh, some fallout, but I don't think it's going to be material at this point. Alan, you might have another perspective. Yeah, look, I, 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 think, the, um, I think the issue is uh, how these changing dynamics will define our business opportunities. And so, you know, whereas <clears throat> new store growth is going to slow down dramatically, there'll be fewer retailers and restaurant tours coming out of this. Uh, there are other opportunities to drive revenue and we're seeing them working with clients now on short term, helping them through their rent relief issues, longer term, helping them reposition their existing portfolio, <clears throat> you know, through uh, uh, rent uh, lease renewals, uh, blend and extends, we just have to be more creative in finding how to drive that revenue. Those opportunities will be there, uh, both on the, <clears throat> on the services side and on the investment side. And so what we're doing now is preparing ourselves internally 
uh, you know, to go after those opportunities, both short term and long term. I would, uh, I would just, I'll, I'll kind of finish off with two thoughts. I think, uh, I think Steve and Al are, are spot on. I think in a way, um, there may be a lot more pain that that all of this is just compounding and accelerating, but that's also pushing that evolution to happen more quickly, um, which I think creates more opportunity. And so, um, in a way. I, I look forward to that because um, this this slow sleepy walk that retail's been in is um, you know it's I'd love to see uh, I'd like to see it re be, have more momentum to recreate itself and this is forcing that the, la the last thing I would say is there's something like 250 to 300 retail brokers in DFW and a whole lot of them are really good it's more than any other metropolitan area in the United States. And all of that's a product of this real estate culture that we enjoy that puts all of these, you know, uh, real estate leaders on a call together. It's different than anywhere else in the country. Um, I think it is very likely you'll see people morph into other, you know, other trades. Um, what Alan was saying is looking for new lines of business. It's very much on our dashboard of, you know, of looking for you know, different, different lines of, of business, different sources of income. Uh, we're all in the process of figuring that out. You don't find yourselves uh, in a position where you're advising smaller tenants more, or do you think you will in, in terms of reinventing business? Yes. I mean, we're again, there's still so much to unfold with, uh, you know, with how retail and restaurants are going to look, but we are um, talking to our smaller uh, retail and restaurant stores, helping them figure out from an operation standpoint how their business is going to look different. I mean, it's clear. I think Ray's going to talk about restaurants later, but the restaurant world is changing. <clears throat> We're even seeing on the retail, uh, on the retail front, retailers talking about reconfiguring their size of their stores, uh, putting more of an emphasis on e-commerce and pickup, whether it's in-store or curbside. And so, yeah, we've, we've always been pretty active in, in working with our retailers, uh, you know, on the, on the operating side of, of things, as well as the retail, uh, the real estate side, but we're seeing a, uh, an acceleration of those discussions. What percent of the independent restaurants do you think are going to survive? That's a great question. I mean, I've seen anywhere from, uh, you know, a 20 to 40% attrition uh, or, or failure rate. That's a huge number. I was going to say, I was going to say 70% survival, maybe just a broad number. Yeah. Look, uh, I think that the word of the day, certainly in retail is discovery and it's, it's all going to be a function of, of how it plays out throughout the system. And so to the extent that the system works together, that the, that the lenders, provide relief. The lenders at the end of the day don't want the properties back. The landlords don't want the spaces back and the tenants want the spaces. And so to the extent that, that you get the collaboration that we, that we hope to see and that we are starting to see, I, I'm hoping and optimistic that that number will actually be a little bit less. Unfortunately, it, the smallest level of, of restaurateurs and retailers, they, they just don't have the capital to withstand this. But I think, and you may see a number of these close and reopen again uh, converting a restaurant space as long as you as you do it quickly uh, 
is a very efficient process. If you take too long, all of a sudden you have all types of issues. So the landlords who've got experience understand that. They don't want the vacancy. Uh, I think you're gonna see short-term relief, whether it's percentage rent or, or other structures that say, look, let's, let's find a way to sort of carry through this period of time and see if everybody can get back on their, on their feet or not. There's not gonna be a rush to, to put pressure on these retailers and say, Either, either pay me or close because that's a that's a lose lose situation. Yeah, I was just thinking that uh, free rents doesn't it's not a big enough give if I right. can't fill the restaurant. So, right. and they can't and twenty five percent isn't going to work. There's all types of yeah. uh, issues with the employees. There's all types of issues with separation. Uh, there, there's a lot more questions and answers at this point. But like I said, I, I think it's too early to make that call. I think it is clear that particularly on the retail side, a 25% opening uh, is going to be a disaster <clears throat> because you're forcing a retailer to increase their expenses and at, at a 25% capacity, uh, they may be in worse shape than if they just stayed closed. I think it may be a different situation for restaurants with uh, particularly if they're strong on the, on the takeout, but in retail, it will not work. Well, their their employees don't want to come back at, at this point because they can't if they're if they're tip based they can't make enough money to cover what they're making off of unemployment at least in the near term. Any other questions? Thank Bill? you, Mike. Anybody want to jump into retail? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got room, guys. <laughs> come on in, it's fun. Lucy, you're up. Well. Uh, you know, Bill, you, you said that you want us to think about what's a post-COVID world, world about what might change. And, uh, you know, I think our services change, our space needs and use change, our relationships change, our virtual platforms change, our construction costs change, our margins change, our taxes change, our insurance changes, our opportunities change, and the ongoing social relationships will be formed in different ways. So um, there's a lot going on. Um, as you know, we're in, you know, multiple different venues, office, uh, industrial retail, and um, multifamily. And I thought I might talk about multifamily a little bit because that doesn't seem to be as well represented here. Um, in multifamily, our collections have been pretty good. Um, we were, right, we were at 98% last month. Um, our uh, employee situation is exactly what Mike said. Um, the younger people are scared. Um, and so everybody started operating from home and doing virtual leasing. We've gotten some virtual leases. We're getting better. It's really, I think right now, a pretty rotten process. And um, it's going to become, I think, probably a spectacular process. So we're all ramping up to move from, yes, I'm in the game to saying, how do we become best of class? Uh, and so with doing that process correctly in the future, we'll actually need fewer leasing agents. So our staffing uh, needs will change. Um, we'll have our clients better trained to self-serve and, and come into our offices um, being pretty outspoken about what they want and need and not um, being as managed uh, by us because they can get so much of the data. Um, our offices, uh, I have reopened all of the leasing offices and 
that was a difficult process because again, people were scared. Um, and it was, as you would imagine, we've reopened them and not a lot of people are rushing in the door. Um, but on big, bigger traffic roads where our signs are more visible, um, the traffic's coming back. Um, the leasing that we've missed, obviously we'll ransack our numbers for the year. And um, the question is how fast can we build it back up? What will be uh, the momentum? Um, the um, um, services that we're providing across the board at every platform, obviously on health and cleanliness, we all know that um, we're in a new world and I think um, these standards will remain. They'll just be a part of our society as far as cleanliness uh, goes. On the amenity usage um, and what we, what's the product difference that we build, um, these clubhouses and um, we even have some of the you know, small co-working spaces in the apartments. I think those are gonna become much more important um, because people are going to office more from home and they're going to want these other venues and places to go be in. So I think the way we do those, and even I think in restaurants, I, I want to be in a restaurant, but I want a cozy corner. I don't want to be right out in the middle of the uh, open zone. So I think the way we're doing space planning will change in every area to <coughs> reflect and be responsive to um, the if it's not social distancing it's let me be close with the people i'm with uh and i i even think people will um, just do a lot of things in small groups um so i you know i don't know how the big parties or obviously events uh take place throughout this but i think on an ongoing basis we'll be creating spaces either temporarily or in a permanent way to accommodate smaller groups um, right now we're, we're not seeing construction costs go down. We think there's going to be, we, I, we happen to believe that, uh, the difficult decisions are still ahead of us, that, uh, the toughest times are going to be, um, July, August, September, when companies, um, or individuals have to wave the white flag, um, or lenders say, well, I, I you know, helped you for 90 days, but, you know, I too have to, uh, move forward. Um, so if we think that the stress points are going to come uh, in the uh, future. Uh, office space, as Steve can say, but I, I think that the demand will be there and I think that people, more people will work from home. But when you work from home, you're not part of a corporate culture. You're more of a statistic and you're measured on um, uh, cold productivity rather than uh, being a part of a team. So call centers may be able to do that. Um, but it, that's, um, uh, and, and obviously some highly skilled people can do that. And I think somebody might work from home on a Thursday and be in the office the other days, but net net office space, um, I think will be the same kinds of square footages because now people are reconfiguring and having to take uh, a little bit more space. Um, you know, we're all going to be paying for this. Everything the government's doing is going to get paid back by us out of taxes. So I, I don't know which form that's going to come in, but I think that's going to be a long-term stress on the industry. I know for us, our property taxes um, in, in apartments, apartments we had 20 years ago, um, our rents, let's say they were a dollar then, let's say they're $1.60 now, 
we make less money now than we did then. And um, taxes are the uh, chief beneficiary. You've obviously got some payroll inflation and you've got some capital costs, but taxes are the uh, big winner of the day. Um, I think that this crisis has taken existing trends and sped them up tremendously. So all of this online is an easy paradigm uh, to say that. Um, I guess those are sort of the general comments I'd make and you know we're happy to talk about any of our other pain and suffering. Collection <laughs> and, and uh, retail we were 50% last month, feel like we're going to be 50% again. The big nationals are the ones that are the tough negotiators. Everyone else is happy to sit down and talk to you and say how do we work through things together. Steve, question? there are questions, yeah, either way. Okay, Steve. Steve. Uh, you want me, Van Amberg? Yes. Okay. No, we want the other uh, Steve. <laughs> well, there's a few on here. Uh, yeah, you're right. No, okay. Van Amberg, uh, please. Okay. Uh, Lucy, uh, I couldn't agree with what you just said more. Um, uh, so uh, I'm the only one in the office today. Um, everybody else is working from home. Uh, uh, we have uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, kind of operating committee calls. Uh, we have a new business call Monday uh, and whenever we need it. Um, you know, the pipeline that we've had with you know, all sorts of interest. Um, not only has it taken a pause, but there's really no uh, return uh, as far as when we're going to hear from any of them. Uh, just like Joe Griffith said, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, how should uh, and can a bank underwrite? Uh, and, you know, in the same regard, because of all this social distancing, um, you know, what, you know, what square footage do you allocate per employee if you're going to build a new facility? And, um, you know, just for example, uh, the project that we're doing uh, for JP Morgan, uh, it's 540,000 feet and they, they had intentions of having between 3,000 and 3,200. Uh, they had a, a furniture system uh, that works really, really well. Uh, however, uh, it violates the social distancing. So we are full blown finishing out all the space. Uh, we, you know, we topped out. Um, uh, I'll give Plez Mitchell a plug. Balfour Beatty's doing an absolutely incredible job. Um, and that we're going to do all the interior improvements. Uh, there's no delay in the project whatsoever, but they are going to rethink how they put people on floors and what it does to the density. Um, my guess at the end of the day, just looking at some sample layout, is that uh, to keep social distancing uh, sort of protocol, uh, they're going to be able to probably get uh, somewhere between 2,700 and 800. 
versus 3,200. So that's about a 10 to 15% requirement for more space, or they'll just have less people. Then the question is, what percentage of them, just like what Lucy said, will continue to work from home? Um, I think at our place, for example, um, out of the 40 people that we have in this office, I wouldn't be surprised if 25% uh, didn't feel comfortable coming back because of all the reasons that Mike said earlier. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, if you take your young kind of group and just say they're, you know, 28 to 40, uh, they all have uh, uh, kids, young kids, and uh, daycare is not working. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, extraterrestrial kind of demands on those young people today. And you can't force them to come back because, you know, what if their wife works or what if there's no child care and they feel like they need to be home to help out? So um, we're sensitive to all that. Um, people that have heart conditions or any kind of pulmonary, uh, you know, they're reluctant to come back. Uh, and, and these are people that could be a little bit older, but, you know, they're just susceptible and they're fearful of coming back. And, uh, you know, so uh, we're going, we're, we're starting back on May 18th and we're calling it our phase one. And uh, we've got two platoons and the platoons are uh, pretty much dividing our operating committee into uh, every other day um, and then allowing accounting, uh, property and asset management, and then all of our project managers to kind of figure out where they need to be. Um, we have 11 projects underway right now, uh, you know, across the country. And uh, the total square footage is around 3 million square feet. Uh, our daily job employee uh, is around 3,000. And uh, so far since this all started, um, for better or worse, and, and uh, Plez Mitchell can tell you exactly what they're doing up in Plano, but across the country, we've had four positive cases out of 3,000 employees. Um, there's a, you know, uh, sanitation station, there's temperature checking, uh, there's social distancing, all of the people that we had that were, um, positive, uh, interestingly were mechanical and electrical contractors because of the close confines, um, guys that are outside in the sun tying rebar or doing whatever they're doing uh, haven't seemed to had any issues. Um, I did talk to, I did talk to Greg Potter the other day with Potter concrete and he said they've had very little issue, but they are taking uh, extra precautions and sensitivities and everybody's wearing masks and doing all the things that they should. Um, and then uh, Joe already mentioned it, but, uh, and I think Mark Gibson's on, I'd love to hear from Mark because it seems like uh, there's a pause. I don't know if the pause will be 90 days or 120 days or a year, but uh, how on earth could a equity investor in good conscience make an equity investment in a speculative project, not knowing 
demand factors, not knowing rights. Um, you know, plans and talk in a second, but um, you know, we've talked to a lot of subcontractors uh, directly, and they believe, based on the stoppage of work, that uh, in September, October, you're going to see a pretty dramatic drop in subcontractor pricing. Um, and if that is the case, anybody that's got something that they're thinking about starting, say, next month, would probably be well served to hang on until the latter part of the year to, you know, gain the benefit of, uh, of, of better pricing. Um, so, you know, we're sitting around. Uh, I'm going to tee off at 1045 this morning if anybody wants to join me. Bill, you want to play golf today? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, and that I don't feel like I have any pressure. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, nobody calls me. I call them. I'm totally okay if, if it takes a day or two for them to return the call. And that um, it's really a time for being compassionate, putting others first, uh, you know, being thankful that we're all safe and that, um, you know, it's really been like a, I hate to say it, but aside from the anxiety of the illness and the sadness of people losing loved ones, uh, this has been two months of, I've never slowed my brain down for this extended period of time. I kind of right. like it, you know, I kind of like it, but at the same time, I can't wait to get back to where we're actually playing a game. Uh, because we're sitting on the sideline and we're hoping to get in and the coach is saying, you can't go back in yet, son. So, uh, uh, you know, I, that, that's really, you know, from a qualitative standpoint, I really agree with what Mike said. Uh, we, uh, we have done plenty of what we would call internal memos, trying to encourage people and trying to make certain everybody's still together and engaged. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just an extra effort, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm very positive that people really enjoy a good company culture. Uh, I know Lucy's got one. I know everybody's got one that's on this call and I think people really want to come back. They just want to do so in the safest manner. So that's all I know. Steve, can I ask you a question? Do you think once there's a vaccine, we go back to normal density, or do you think this is a shift that's going to continue? You think, you know, I mean, I, we here, you know what, you know what I think? <clears throat> I think that when there's a vaccine, everything detonates because then there's no issue anymore. You get a vaccine, okay? And right. um, <laughs> that's that's number one. Number two, I think you know, almost by law you have to create a workspace and we have actually redone ours and uh, a couple of our smaller conference rooms we're turning into offices uh, where two people can be 10 feet apart uh, and get them out of a workstation environment because of the circulation of the office. There's no way to walk by their, their workstation without it being four feet. So, um, you know, we're redoing that. Uh, I talked to a couple of guys at Lincoln and uh, they said, for example, a lot of their conference rooms, they are uh, having to remove chairs. So if it's a 16 chair room and everybody's three feet apart, 
those rooms are going to six or seven chairs. I just looked at ours this morning before this call, and um, we're going to be able to get six chairs in the one room. Uh, so the way to do it properly to make sure nobody cheats is you got to take the chairs out and go put them in a storage closet. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is in phase one, up until June 15th for the first 30 days, we've made the decision to not allow any vendor or third party person in our office space. Um, we just don't want to have to worry about protocol and somebody coming in that isn't as sensitive as we are and maybe they're a little cavalier and you know it's hard to ask a vendor if he took his temperature that morning um, uh, because he'd probably say oh heck yeah because he's trying to drop something off or do something so uh, we'll only have employees in our space until June 15th. I think that's prudent too. I agree with that. Mark Gibson, do you have anything to, to uh, add to what Steve said? Um, well, Bill, I've just a couple of comments. Um, uh, I've listened through it, it's been great. Um, one is that uh, we spend a lot of time looking at Asia, and I'm on the phone with our colleagues in Asia and now in Germany since Germany opened up. Uh, now two and a half weeks ago, <clears throat> and uh, just to give a little bit of optimism, because in these times you're deemed unintelligent if you say anything optimistic. I think, but if you look at the retail in Asia and what is happening, they're getting double-digit increases. That's U.S. retailers in Asia, and if you and they're ten weeks ahead of us. So if you look at how life is progressing and what normality looks like. Uh, there, it gives us at least a fact set uh, to start planning uh, what we're doing, and it's it's different than what we're talking about now. It's people are back into the office; they're going to restaurants, they're going to mall. Mall activity is increasing in Asia, um, and we're beginning to see in Korea transactional flow beginning to happen. And, uh, that was an eight to ten week time frame to get back to that uh, state, and we're tracking that at least. So we'll see how that uh, plays out. Lucy, your point on stress points is completely accurate because unlike every other recession we've seen with the forbearance request and the accommodations from lenders, you're just pushing out any kind of seller capitulation for 90 to 120 days. Um, Joe, your point on the 100 basis point cap rate, that's a, uh, we've done 10 billion of trades over the last four weeks. We've apped up another 10 billion. And the small subset, the IE trades that have happened, the value diminution has been five to 15%. So your 100 BP would be accurate at the top end. Um, but on the flip side, uh, we've seen industrial, life sciences, MOB, and anything long dated with a defensive tenant actually compressing cap rate. Um, Steve, your business is going to be interesting. So if you think about single tenant, long leased assets, um, most 
investors are believing that post-COVID we're going to be in a lower interest rate environment for longer. And they're getting on the front foot, particularly the lenders. Okay? So the credit markets have thawed almost 150 basis points. We are now apping um, multi-housing deals at 50-55% at sub-3. They were four, four and a half, two weeks ago. Um, and we just did, ironically, a food anchored retail center, uh, guys, at roughly 60% of value at 3.25% with the life company. So that market is thawing a little bit and people are, and the lenders are going, geez, you know, I do think we're going to be in a lower yield environment. I better get somewhat on the front foot here. Uh, to locking some of these yields, particularly as the compression is uh, coming in on the spread side of it. So, Steve, I think companies, what we're seeing in our corporate services business, companies want to control their environment more, and that makes common sense. So, any kind of merchant build vacant office is going to be in vogue, and I think you're going to see a lot more build the suit type activity uh, in the future. And the only other thing I would add, um, Bill, is this density thing that we're all talking about internally um, in the workspace is great. But density also applies to geography. And we are seeing a lot of discussion, true discussion, uh, on corporate relos out of mass transit, highly dense urban areas uh, in the country for a number of reasons. But that, that is also this work from home thing, particularly in hard hit regions, particularly in New York, uh, is really changing the way people are thinking. And to Lucy's point, it's accelerating trends that were already in place, but it, it's really accelerating. I'll stop there, Bill. Thank you. Any questions? Okay, Ray Washburn. <clears throat> you hear me? Yep. Okay. Hey, I have one question for Van Amberg. Uh, I was going down Knox Street, and I noticed that uh, Restoration Hardware about three weeks ago just stopped construction totally. I mean, just have rebar sticking out. Have you guys seen that, that people have just stopped? Um, it kind of reminded me of the late 80s <laughs> construction project, but is that the only one, or is there others? You know, uh, I haven't seen any. Uh, so okay. you've seen that one. Um, I have heard that they've stopped construction on the PGA and the Omni hotels. I don't uh, up up in Frisco. Uh, I, I you know I read yesterday that uh, Gold's Gym was preparing for a bankruptcy, um, and I do know just from reading uh, different things that the hotel industry. Uh, is really taking a licking and um, you know I'm questioning what the future of the hotel industry is and kind of what Mark Gibson believes uh, the capital markets will do for some type of a new hotel those would be the ones I would think would be uh, you know stopping construction midstream uh, and anybody got any thoughts there Okay, well, uh, I'll continue on, if that's all right, and give you a restaurant. This has been an absolute 
show for the restaurant business. Um, yesterday was Cinco de Mayo, which just absolutely inundated, you know, pretty much, well, my restaurants, but a lot. Our restaurants are designed for takeout of about 10 to 15% of your sales. Now we're doing about 50% of the sales through takeout through kitchens that are not designed to have all your orders come in in one hour. And so restaurants are just um, not equipped for what's going on right now. Everyone thinks, oh, we're getting all this takeout. It's killing us. And especially with the cost of packaging, it costs about 20% more for a takeout order than it does for you sitting at the table and I wash the plate. So a lot of the restaurant business looks like we're doing great sales, but it's a money loser for us. The supply chain that you guys hear about with Wendy's not even being able to sell hamburgers anymore because they can't get meat. Um, our brisket cost has doubled in the last week, doubled in the last week, whereas avocados have gone down by 50% in the last week. So what we found is luxury food items like an avocado, people aren't buying. I mean, there's been a real push from the consumer standpoint to buy just basic staples, but not the higher end things. So that's been an interesting dynamic to see on that. Um, the 25% just does not work in our business. I have to have a hundred percent kitchen running in front of the house. They count for the 25% your employees. So an average restaurant will have 30 employees working at a time, like Highland Park Village. We seat 200 people. So guess what? I can only seat 30 people now inside because I have to count my employees towards it as well. That obviously doesn't make any sense. We have to open up, though, because our competitors are. So it's like we're being forced to lose money. And if I don't open and my customer goes down the street and I stay closed for a month, who knows if they come back? Loyalties go, you know, a different way. So they're idiots in Austin. It's either open it all up or don't open it at all. It's this tone the water from an operator standpoint just doesn't work. The Katie Trail Ice House, for example, we opened for one day uh, Friday. We got a $1,000 citation because we have a bar license, not a food license, which means we sell more than 51% alcohol. And so a lot of the bars and restaurants in town just can't open up because, and the governor has just been in such the gray area on opening things up that it's just created an absolute just craziness for so many of uh, the guys in my business. Now, the PPP, which almost every restaurant took, that's great, but it runs out at the end of, June, at the end of May, third week of May. So what you're finding from a lot of the restaurant operators, and I talk to these guys every day, we have Zoom calls like this, is your bills for February came in March, and most of us closed the 9th or 10th of March. So a lot of this PPP money went to pay your February and early March bills, sales tax, things like that. Some paid rent, some paid about half rent for uh, April and May. And then you're supposed to use 75% of it for your employees. Well, that money all runs out at the end of May if we don't get open back up in some semblance because otherwise it's a slow drift to the earth and it just runs out. And I can't see the government printing out more money for us because it's already so many of these restaurant companies are already indebted. So I think to Lucy's point that July, August, September are going to be the bad months, I agree. 
I think, especially in the restaurant business, we run out of cash all across the board. And fortunately, we didn't have any debt, but a lot of companies do. And you're already seeing big chains like Brio, Punchbowl Social, just either totally shutting down or saying they're going to shut down and they'll just open back a few units uh, back. Now, long-term change that I'm already seeing happen. One is you're going to see, obviously, a lot more takeout and, and uh, curbside pickup. So that's going to take for a big design, especially in the lifestyle centers, like I'm in this legacy town center. It's like, how do you get dedicated parking up front when you're sharing parking with a lot of other retailers? That's going to be a big, big issue with the landlords. Another one is our footprint and number of seats. We were, this is forcing change that was already coming to the restaurant business pre this. One is too many seats in the business, too easy to get in. You're going to see Things like sports bars that people are now staying home watching things on TV. I think that's going to be under a great competition. You're going to see a lot more ghost kitchens opening up, which is going to be an interesting dynamic to see how as a, as a landlord you get percentage rent. If, for example, me Casina had a ghost kitchen in Brook Hollow, and you right now I capture that percentage rent through uh, um, their sale at the store. But if they go through my portal and end up, um, I have a big kitchen in Brook Hollow that makes a delivery. That person thinks it's being cooked in Hall Park when it's really being cooked in a warehouse in Brook Hollow. But the sales then go through. So how does the the landlord end up capturing that lost sale? I think that's something from a landlord perspective to be looked at. And the last thing is that I've heard from many, many guys pre this late last year is cam charges and rents have gotten so high in our business it's an, it, the margins have gotten pressed so thin and with, it costs so much to build out a restaurant. An average me casino is about a million five, million eight TI. How, when we're looking at the risk of that with a landlord, I think you're going to see a lot more restaurants in the new era coming back and saying, we're going to do percentage rent only. And uh, we're taking too much risk uh, building this stuff out. And with gap rules anyway on, on accounting for uh, – the way you have to treat rent, I think you're going to see people much more cautious on committing to uh, some type of guarantee on the lease, A, other than maybe the TI, the landlord gives them, and then B, they're going to push more for lower rents and higher percentage. So um, it's been a very interesting time. We furloughed 1,800 people. We've brought back probably, we kept 400 in the payroll. We probably brought back 400 with this 25%. I'd like to bring back more, but until the governor opens up, this this totally uh, gray area of, of opening up, it's going to be very difficult. For, so you're going to see a lot of carnage in, in my restaurant, in the restaurant field in the next, you know, by the end of the summer. So anyway, that's kind of my doom and gloom report. So, hey, Ray, do you think yep. in when, when we have a vaccine, it goes back to normal, or do you think I mean, the ship is going to... Well, I, I saw to everyone saying the younger people are staying out. Katie Trail Ice House, we were, were open Friday, and we did have social distancing. We moved half to picnic tables, but we were still packed with that younger demographic. So I think they're all going to go back out on that stage. But I just think the business model of restaurants versus the rents charged, because we've all pushed it. Look, I've I pushed rents as high as anybody in the city in my in the village in other areas, but it's, it's kind of hitting 
we were kind of hitting the ceiling anyway. Now Cam charges to uh, Lucy's point about property taxes. I mean, restaurant guys are looking at this going, I just can't, my margins are getting too squeezed. And I've said this before, but I think inflation in my business is going to really hockey stick up next year as capacity is shut down. We're already seeing it in beef. You're going to see it as, uh, and the pricing power is going to go back to our suppliers. And when that happens, our margins are going to get squeezed even tighter. So uh, does it go back to the new normal? I think people go back out to eat. Yes. I think there is a little change and more people are going to be eating at home. I think they found that they like sitting out by their pool watching. I mean, these TVs we had today are great. I don't know why I'd ever want to go back to a movie theater. Um, you know, I'd rather eat at home and watch the new movie and then go out to get a drink or something. But uh, that's where we are. But me casino last night, our restaurants were just mod to people to get to go food and our kitchens. That's when you come to the realization is we just aren't designed for that type of business. I mean, you're designed to run dinner from five to nine at night, not from six to seven when everybody wants the food at the exact same time. That's why I think the ghost kitchens, this ghost kitchen deal, if y'all don't know what that is, that, that is you get one central kitchen. And in my case, let's say I got one in just theoretically say Preston center. It's in the middle. All my restaurants in a pretty wide geographical area could just feed in that one area. It's cooked, delivered in a bag. And you have no idea. Like I said, you thought you ordered at a home park and it's cooked in some industrial kitchen somewhere, but it's going to rip sales out of, uh, you know, 10 to 20% away from the landlord that we captured today. And so that's going to be a downward drip because you're going to go back and say, well, I used to do a thousand a foot in sales. And you go back to your landlord and say, I'm doing $800 a foot in sales. And they're saying, well, but your sales are off, off site. How can you prove up where that sale comes from? So, but you're seeing that in all sorts of e-commerce you know, soft good retailers, and now it's going to be coming to the restaurant business. Hey, Ray, uh, are you requiring your staff people to wear masks? Or is that an option? Or how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, they're all wearing masks and gloves, all of them. Yeah. So, anyway, but that, but that would be an interesting discussion offline for the guys that want to talk about in the retail sense of this shift because you're going to be your rent's going to be under tremendous pressure from uh your retail from the restaurant side which up till a few months ago was kind of the best part of our business was grabbing percentage rent from these high grossing restaurants but it's it's going to be a game changer ray i think it's a chance to go back to the city and change some of the requirements the city has on 10 per thousand parking um, parking for covered patios yeah. Uh, I think that um, the city is dying to say, how did they help economic development? And uh, there's got to be a few things that can be accomplished there. Right. And we, uh, Lucy, we did put that on our agenda. We already sent that recommendation to City Council. And I don't know what other ideas there might be. Um, uh, I sadly had one great restaurateur tell me, that in the future, we're just going to have to see restaurants as amenity to the development, not as a profit center. Yeah. Well, and, and Lucy, I, we look at geofencing the village for retail sales with some of our retailers to capture sales. And that, that might be the next step to capturing that. But I'm, I'm, 
I'm looking at it from a restaurant tour saying, well, this is great. I capture 6% more by off, off, offshoring my uh, takeout, you know, offloading it deal. So that's, anyway, that's just something that, now you're not going to get the little mom and pop restaurant because they can't afford a ghost kitchen, but the bigger concepts are going to be able to pull that off. I looked at cheesecake sales this morning. You know, they've up from uh, 10% takeout and they're at about 50%. And you get a high volume operator like that, it makes sense to go build an offsite kitchen. So, well, look at the franchisees. That's going to be a conundrum. Yeah. It is. It's going to compete with them. So, anybody else have any other questions? Okay, Mark, go ahead. Well, you mentioned that, uh, that you got avocados coming down, you got beef going up, net net. Just, I'm, um, I'm, um, I agree with your inflation commentary, just the amount of spend they're doing anyway. But what, if you looked at your all-in cost, when you look at some of them coming down and some of them going up, what do you, what do you think it is, Ray? Well, on, on, on that side, it's, it's pretty much our packaging costs is just skyrocketed. And so there's so much competition for paper goods and things like that. That's going up as far as the supply chain of lettuce and tomatoes and things like that. It's, given that brisket prices and meat prices have doubled, it's, it's a net net pretty flat um, on that side, but you, you know, it's the, the other things that end up just killing. And so and we've had to spend a ton of money on it. Now we've had to really update our, I mean, somebody figured out a way around our, uh, our, our uh, ordering system last night, which we had paced out. Some guy hacked it to, to create a back, a back door in to make his order and gave it to a bunch of his friends. So all of a sudden, instead of doing like 200 orders between six and six thirty yesterday, we had like a thousand come in. And we're like, are you kidding me? And then we <laughs> found out it got, it got hacked, not because someone wanted to steal something. They just want to get an order into the kitchen. So. <laughs> so. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for participating. I really found the content really good. I appreciate everybody giving their time. And um, we, uh, if it makes sense in another, in a couple of weeks, let's do this again and, and um, we'll get different content and try to keep making it uh, something that you find value with. We'll keep it up. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate everybody's willingness to help each other. And uh, the culture in Dallas is unbelievable. The talent on this phone call is unbelievable, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being part of it. That's all for today's show. I'd like to thank our CEOs for taking the time to join us on the call. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you download podcasts, follow Trek on social media, and check us out on YouTube. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.